0: Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest. Today is the 29th of October, 2019. Today, we're going to start in a general overview of an aspect of gene expression known as epigenetics. Epigenetics is a term that's been used for the last probably 10 to 15 years sometimes erroneously. And uh, it's my uh, mission in life to make sure that when we use terms, we understand uh, exactly what they mean. Epigenetics means, of course, epi meaning above or beyond genetics. So the term, uh, unfortunately, can be nuanced in a lot of different ways. Let me explain to you what it really means and why it's absolutely important to understand it to understand individual phenotype, particularly when we're talking about humans and relative to biomedical phenomena. okay, It's also got a much larger uh, perspective as it relates to learning, um, epistemology in general, that is knowledge, and also metaphysics, that is uh, what actually exists and what does not exist, or what can exist in Physical form and what can exist beyond physical form. I'm not going to talk about those predicates today. Today, we're just going to stick with biomedicine. So, let's get started. So, epigenetics and uh, in general, how epigenetics plays a significant role in biomedicine. So, let's just give a, a basic outline human phenotype is influenced directly and in combination with our genes, which are coded in DNA, of course, and the environment. There is a genetic predisposition to many diseases, but how are environmental stimuli actually involved in a mechanistic way with the phenotype? Okay, remember the phenotype is what is presented, right? (coughs) So epigenetics is the study of changes in gene expression And it can be independent of genotype, or at least it's not directly dependent on sequence topology uh, of DNA. It is related to it, but it's not entirely described by the genome. That's why it's called the epigenome. So in certain instances, the epigenetic patterning can actually be transgenerationally inherited I don't want you to think this is a phenomena that cannot be inherited. Indeed, it can, because it is chemical modification of nucleic acid, particularly chromatin. So the epigenome consists of a canon of DNA and histones, which are those basic proteins which make up the chromatin, right? The histones make up an octet of polypeptides that wind DNA within the eukaryotic nucleus, so there's an interaction there between DNA and histone proteins, and that in, cel- in itself influences gene expression. It does so by inducing conformational changes, which include what, are, what is known as chromatin remodeling, something I talked about a great deal <coughs> in lecture and uh, in both in video lectures, authentic biochemistry, and, and many other formats that I've been delivering to uh, my students. So What epigenetics does is it helps to explain the specificity of tissue-specific, and here's a real important issue, the temporal displacement of gene expression. So tissues will express different genes at different times, and that's related to how the gene is expressed. And it's the expression itself, which is canonically related to and controlled by things like promoters and enhancers and terminators and splice variation. But all of that can be described in just the genomic mechanics. The epigenome includes the tailoring that I just described to you there, that functional biochemical tailoring. But on top of that is how environment can correct or can um, pleiotropically alter the way the gene is expressed at any given mediacy and even at an immediate level, depending upon stressors, input, <coughs> and feedback control. So, if any of that is beyond what you've been thinking about when you think about gene expression, it's okay, because what I'm trying to try to do is disambiguate this for you. And I will because I know that once I get through this, you'll understand. So let me say this: some some just some basic generalizations about epigenetics. Aberrant epigenetic profiles are often associated with human disease. The environmental stimuli that we think about in terms of like things like temperature, pH within a cellular mass. Um, stressors such as pro-inflammatory cytokines or signaling chemokines, phosphorylation patterns within the cell, endocrine hormones, paracrine hormones, autocrine hormones, all of that are environmental stimuli. So extracellular, actual physical environment as well well as intracellular. All that environmental stimuli can induce epigenetic biochemical modification to DNA and histones that in turn will modulate the expression of those genes. So beyond that, there's also something called microRNA. MicroRNA impact protein abundance, and and these molecules do so through a post-transcriptional regulation of mRNA, and therefore controls the expression of numerous mRNAs through numerous microRNAs and when microRNAs become dysfunctional gene expression becomes aberrant okay so physical exercise is a, is you could be considering that or aging or an etiologic agent like a virus or a bacterial infection all of those things and much more can be considered Environmental stimuli. Any of those things, such as, for example, physical exercise, can impact short term and long term health and well being throughout life. This, This kind of environmental stimulus is also a potential trigger for epigenomic remodeling. Okay. So the health and fitness benefits conferred by, say, Um, you know, when you think about regular aerobic exercise or resistance training includes an alleviation of risk of developing and hopefully eliminating via the reduced severity of cardiovascular disease, metabolic pulmonary, hepatic renal disease, all the neuroimmune diseases, autoimmune responses, as well as obesity, cancer, and all the obvious pathologies that are impacted both phenotypically and therefore epigenetically by physical activity. And physical activity is one level. Nutrition is another level. Stress, aging, the environment in which you live, urban versus rural, uh, high mountain versus valley, on a coast versus inland, all of these environmental phenomena will control and help regulate the epigenetics and therefore gene expression. And these are modifiable. When you move, the epigenetic patterning as well moves. If you have a, a healthy body when you're young and you cease exercise, you will change that epigenomic patterning grid. You can Revitalize via epigenetic repatterning and recombination at the DNA histone level a more youthful uh, physical state if you then re engage in exercise and re engage in healthy nutrition. And this is the whole idea about lifestyle modification as one ages to be able to not so much slow aging, that's a terrible misnomer it's not slowing aging. It's regulating the senescence and pathology that can be associated with aging, regulating in such a way that you reduce disease state as you live out however many years your cells are going to provide for you. So nutrition, stress, physical and mental, exercise, all of those things impact signatures within the epigenome. And now what are those signatures? Now I'm going to start to introduce real biochemistry here. DNA methylation, DNA acetylation, histone acetylation and methylation, microRNA expression and turnover and splicing, and much more. There are much more covalent modifications that that, uh, fine-tune those major molecular events. But think acetylation, methylation, and microRNA. Those are the three canonical features of epigenomic patterning and programming, okay? And these are covalent modifications, right? The the microRNA, when it's synthesized, can anneal to a messenger RNA because of sequence homology, and they can prevent the expression of the protein from that messenger RNA because double-stranded RNA is not a suitable substrate for ribosomal protein synthesis, that is transla- translational uh, translation, uh, both at, in the endoplasmic reticulum as well as cytoplasmic polyribosomes. Okay. And this is actually a tremendous phenomena that helps control and fine-tune gene expression, again, at the mediated level over time and at the immediate level as genes are being expressed. And these signatures are often fleeting and difficult to annotate. So you can get a change in the expression of genes, and even if you're trying to follow this experimentally, it's sometimes missed because the turnover is so rapid, and there are so many possible modifications that can ultimately change in a subtle, immediate way the expression of certain genes, which then can have a global effect on phenotype right? And again, think about the learning process. When you're learning, like you're listening to me right now, giving you a lecture, you might be learning new things here. What is that process at the molecular level? How are you able to retain what I'm saying? More importantly, not just to recall it like a recording, which doesn't mean anything unless you know what. You you need to know what the words mean and you need to know also the syntax, right? You need to know how the words fit together. So language itself is a constant exercise that requires the modification of neural circuitry so that you get new information, process it, and store components of it. That kind of event at the molecular level often means alterations of gene expression that are not related to the sequence of the gene sensu but are related erstwhile to modifications of positions in the DNA, promoter regions, enhancer regions, silencer regions, um, ligation points, um, exon shuffling, <clears throat> and, and then microRNA expression, alteration of messenger RNA processing, splice variation, for example, in messenger RNA as it's leaving the nucleus, right? the aspects of heterochromatin versus euchromatin in terms of global gene expression, all of those are within the larger paradigm of the epigenome. So this isn't a rare and insignificant molecular event in the cell. This is a common molecular event in the cell. The only reason you don't learn about it, um, except in more sophisticated courses, is because we have only now begun to unravel it and there aren't any, uh, as far as we can see, specific canon of law about how the epigenetic reprogramming occurs. And that makes perfect sense because you can't have strict laws when you are an, an organism that's living in the environment. Living in the environment means you have to deal with uncertainty. And uncertainty then translates to the molecular level to changes in gene expression which sometimes then become patterned and become indelible and stay in place in situ when they're called upon for the uh, specific rendering of that gene expression necessary for recalling aspects of life, okay? That is the key feature here, okay? And, And again, we can talk about this at the molecular level and we can talk about this at the physiological level, and we can also talk talk about this in the phenotype written large. That is, whether or not you gain weight when you eat more food, part of that is related to epigenetic reprogramming that your body's been going through, and cells in your liver and your kidney and your gut have been processing uh, as they turn over, and then providing methylomic signatures and acetylomic uh, signatures over an entire lifespan, or... Those methylomes, acetylomes, sumolomes, and th- and other covalent modifications can be rendered uh, completely um, ablated, and then a whole new program can be initiated, depending on environmental interaction with the genome and the epigenome via the neuroimmunosystem that becomes a neuroimmunoepigenetic reprogramming. Of, of the entire organism in a very complex, non-stochastic way, yet apparently stochastic as it relates to molecular events, okay? So this is a very important thing. Ultimately, you end up with phenotype. So phenotype has environmental influences, and part of it is also a determined event. What is in the determined aspect of phenotype are things like inheritance of specific genetics. But the environmental influence also plays a role in the phenotype. So in in a larger understanding, the environmental influences relate to non-inherited, what we call epigenetic determinations. And then we have genomic imprinting and we have inheritance, both of which feed into epigenetic reprogramming and indeed can become inherited epigenetic determinations, inherited epigenetic determinations, okay? So I want you to get, I want you to get that understanding because it's a constant dynamic system. It's not a system that is closed to the environment ever. And indeed, all the way from conception to death, epigenomic repatterning and reprogramming are at work. And even aging doesn't seem to slow down this epigenetic phenomenon. Okay, There are differences, there are changes. And there, there are also dimorphisms related to what age you are, what sex you are, um, and also how... Your central nervous system processes the environment, right? Processes what's going on. So there is a superimposition of will, as a, a power of will that's aspected there as well. Okay, that's what I'm, that's what we're getting at here. All right. So, some key terms we need to understand. What is chromatin? Chromatin can be defined, and these are just definitions I'm going to use. There are better definitions that are longer and more definitive, but these are ones I want you to keep in mind for the for these lectures. Chromatin is elongated condensed forms of DNA that's housed inside a eukaryotic cell nucleus. That's what chromatin is. What is DNA methylation? That's an epigenetic modification which encompasses an addition of a methyl group. Okay to DNA CPG, cytosine separated by the phosphodiester bond, to guanine and even non-CPG sites within the DNA. So there are CPG enriched rich locations within the DNA. We call them CPG islands. And those tend to be major sites of alteration of methylation. We'll get into that detail in a minute. Where that happens on the cytosine residue. The cytosine residue becomes uh, covalently modified by a methyl group, which is actually donated by s uh, methionine. okay? So ADOMET, or s methionine is the methylating agent that provides the methyl group, a CH3 group, that covalently modifies the cytosine residue in CPG and non-canonical CPG sites that then render alterations in the expression of genes, Okay. Mm-hmm. That's all about DNA methylation. What about DNA methyltransferases? Those are the enzymes which perform and essentially catalyze DNA methylation. So methyltransferase enzymes include things like uh, the signatures are DMT1, DMT2, DMT3, then there's 3A, 3B, 3L. These are all named because of specific isoforms of DNA methyltransferases. Each of them have a specific DNA template substrate, which itself is modifiable further. The more methyl groups that are added to particular cytosine residues in CPG islands become a new substrate, which can be hypermethylated or which can be rearranged and become hypomethylated again, depending on environmental signatures that are occurring as an imposition on chromatin. And the imposition has to again do with the movement of molecules in and out of the nucleus, including adomet, including the methyltransferases, but other molecules such as kinases, enzymes which add phosphate, for example, which will further alter the micromolecular environment thus allowing for changes in methylation um, patterns, okay? So what is the epigenome? The epigenome is all epigenetic modifications, including its DNA methylation, and numerous histone modifications, such as acetylation, just one, that's a major one, but one one, uh, example. These are all described, uh, can be described at the molecular level. As covalent modifications, but those covalent modifications can be lost. You add a methyl group, you add an acetyl group, you can remove it with, uh, with enzymes which demethylate, which enzymes which deacetylate. In fact, we've talked about these many times in both Authentic Biochemistry and my Vera of Med video lectures. These enzymes that remove acetate are called HDEX histone deacetylases. Okay. So we have histone deacetylases, but we also have HATs, which are histone acetyltransferases. And I said acyl because sometimes it's not just an acetyl. Sometimes it's a longer chain um, acyl group, which can be used to covalently modify histone residues, particularly lysine residues uh, within the histone protein. So all of that is the epigenome. So these (laughs) epigenetic modifications share some common characteristics, right? Right. The the major characteristics is the epigenome involves DNA and protein that is associated with itself. So how the DNA is packaged, that includes topoisomerases and gyrases and enzymes which relax or which supercoil DNA, those in conjunction with methylation patterns, acetylation patterns, sumoylation patterns, ubiquitinylation patterns, even phosphorylation patterns can then result in a new epigenome, which again is a movable feast. It can come and go very quickly within a cell cycle easily and cause major changes to gene expression. Okay. Which again, they appear random, but they're not random. They're pseudo random because if they were completely random, the cell would die. Can't have random expression of genes. You can't be, you know, at the same time, carrying out beta oxidation of fatty acids in the mitochondria and biosynthesis of fatty acids in the same cell. Because if you do that, you're just going to have a futile cycle. Cell won't last, right? That can happen, by the way, but it's not a cell who has a signature which is going to sustain. So it's very important to understand this. So there are lots of mechanisms to consider here. That's why I love epigenetics. There's all kinds of really good rock-solid biochemistry here that you can measure. But you have to have the right kind of experiment so that you can detect it because it's a subtle change. And you have to also be able to slow down the process or you have to be able to develop uh, PCR uh, experiments so that you can find the epigenetic patterning subsequent to an induction. And there's all kinds of interesting ways to do this. We have templates that we know how to use that we can regulate how we examine methylation patterns, right? And I'll get into all that with you for you, because something I've I've worked on actually in the laboratory, working out some of these experimental designs. So you also have histone acetylation. That's simply just a, a biochemical reaction that involves the addition of acetyl groups uh, from acetyl CoA to histone proteins, and those would be the lysines in those histones. So there are histone acetyltransferases, and that's a huge family of enzymes, okay? Those are the HAT enzymes, HAT, which catalyze histone covalent acetylation. Then there's the histone deacetylases, or the HDACs I mentioned. There's a class of HDACs called sirtuins, which I've also talked about at great length in vera lectures over the last uh, two years, and also more recently in some of the authentic biochemistry podcasts. So, I'll talk a lot about histone deacetylation. Very, very interesting enzymes, very potent in regulating the epigenome, obviously. Uh, you also have, of course, the histone proteins themselves. There are five histone proteins, the typical eukaryotic nucleus. Uh, they're called H1, H2A, H2B, H3, and H4. Those are the canonical histones, right? And they're involved, as I said, in DNA packaging. There are four paired histone proteins, usually H2A, 2B, 3, and 4. And then they can form by by doubling an octamer, and those contribute to the formation of what's called the nucleosome, the nucleosome, which is a common structural feature of packaged DNA in the eukaryotic nucleus. Lysine residues, that's the amino acid, right, that gets the covalent modification of both acetylation and methylation on histones. Um, So you need to look at the structure of lysine. If you haven't looked at it lately, lysine is often covalently modified in proteins. The microRNA is a small, non-coding RNA molecule. It's very short. It should be between 18 and 24 nucleotides, ribonucleotides long. We'll talk about how you make RNA, microRNA, excuse me. Uh, There's a very interesting series of processes in which that is um, structurally produced. Then you have, again, the nucleosome. The nucleosome, my final definition for right now, which is a repeated structural unit for DNA packaging. And it consists of those eight histone proteins, and then a certain stretch of DNA, which is usually about 260 nucleotides, which are packaged within that histone octet. Now, that could be variable, but that's, that's kind of the consistent pattern that you find. <clears throat> okay, so chromatin can be remodeled by methylation and acetylation. The DNA methylation can increase or decrease the more DNA methylation usually means the less transcription on a given site in chromatin, because more methylation means that that DNA will not be, uh, the chromatin won't be remodeled in a facile manner sufficient to allow for gene expression. That's not always the case, but hypermethylation usually shuts down gene expression. And that means transcription, and therefore then, because there's less messenger RNA, translation, and then polypeptide formation. MicroRNAs, again, uh, work primarily just on RNA at the RNA level, although they can actually, some RNAs can actually work as heteroduplexes with DNA. We'll talk about that as well. So you have methyl groups, acetyl groups, you get a chromatin modification, uh, which includes at the nucleosomal level. and you can get an increased abundance or decreased abundance of any of those covalent modifications. And again, it's not a random phenomenon, okay? But it's a phenomenon that uh, can appear random because of the complexity of those interactions. And that's what I want you to understand, that that, uh, what I'm describing to you sounds very uniform, but it's not uniform. So I'm going to stop here. When I pick up again, in part, uh, uh, this is going to be a long series on epigenetics. We're going to start talking about microRNAs, and we'll finish that discussion. So for right now, this is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry saying bye for now.